0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of CJ and the Duke. As always, I'm your co-host, Robert the Duke Fedorik.
1: And I am Corey CJ Wesley.
0: Today we have a very special perspectives episode. CJ and I have been making all this talk about good architecture and outcomes and things to avoid. And why? Because we want our ServiceNow implementations to provide value and deliver that value over a long period of time. Now, we've brought you some perspectives from folks on the deployment side, but how about, you know, like maybe an actual customer perspective for once? What do
1: you (laughs) think about that? This is revolutionary, right? I mean, we've never done this before, and I think it's well long overdue. Why not get the customer on the show and tell us about all the things that we think we know?
0: That's right. (laughs) All right, so let us introduce to you, drum roll, please. Quinton.
2: Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me.
0: It is our pleasure, Deb. How are you doing today?
2: I'm great. I'm great. It's a Friday afternoon.
1: Can't beat that. Well, Deb, just want to thank you for coming out and agreeing us to talk with us live and on air about you know all things service now. I, we really do appreciate it, and hopefully, I think our audience will as well. I mean, I think there's a lot of value in uh, speaking to a customer.
2: Well, thank you, and I really appreciate you having me, Robert. And I have been working together for a while, and we've done some really great stuff. And I've enjoyed listening to the work that you both have done on this podcast. So I'm really excited to be able to share whatever there is that I can share with with your audience um, so that we can all have better implementations and long-term success with ServiceNow. Well,
1: that's Our, the Holy Grail, isn't it? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. It's why we wake up in the morning. It's why on a Friday we're still like big, wide-eyed,
0: bushy tail talking about ServiceNow. Um, I never turn this stuff off. <laughs> that and coffee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and bourbon and coffee. Uh, all right. So let's just kick it off here. And we'll just start right off the top. What do you wish ServiceNow implementation partners knew about implementations?
2: <laughs> I have several things that I wish ServiceNow partners knew about implementations. Um, One of the things that I think is most important is that we as customers, we know our organization. Sometimes that gets lost and we get into a bit of a battle of... You know, it's like the chocolate and the peanut butter, right? The, the platform and the organization and the platform and the organization, we both bring our respective expertise to the table and melding them together is how we get that Reese's peanut butter cup, right? So we are the experts in our organization and I wish that there was often a little bit more trust that we know what's going to work and what's not going to work.
1: I like that. Let's dig in on that a little bit. So a couple of things there, right? Like y- you're absolutely right. You guys are the, the experts on your organization and we should be taking the lead from you in terms of how things are going to um, mesh that we're building, how they're going to mesh in your environment and what's going to be the potential uptake in certain features and certain ways that we're developing things, which kind of lends itself towards the topic of organizational change management, which is something that we've hit on here. For maybe a, a few of the last um, episodes that we've recorded, and a topic that I I don't think gets a nearly enough press, or when when we're when we're starting to do a, an, an implementation, right?
2: Yeah, I agree, and I think that organizational change management can be a big like you know it can be an acronym, but what that really means is is very different for each organization, and that's something that we definitely bumped into our first implementation project. We used one of the big partners. And when we got to the their, quote, and you can't see me doing air quotes, but I, I am, organizational change management section, the things that they showed us were so rudimentary, number one. Number two, they weren't even remotely applicable to our organization. And they just weren't really very valuable. We spent a lot of time I spent a lot of time convincing them that their, you know, whatever, their um, trademarked organizational change management process wasn't really what we needed. It didn't hit the mark. I know our organization. I personally was the one that pitched our organization to buy ServiceNow to begin with. I know better how we're going to make this fly at our organization than big box implementer consulting firm. X knows. So I wish that there was a true sense of the partnership going the other way and that that trust in us knowing what it is that we're doing.
0: Did you sense that it was like a little bit of autopilot? Oh, we do this dozens of times a month and we know all the best practices, air quotes. Absolutely. Um, And it's like, they hear you, but is that reaching the heart versus the brain?
2: Yeah, I think it was quite a bit of autopilot to the power of a little bit of we're the experts and Mm -hmm. that is absolutely true they are the service now experts but they're not the expert in my organization. And also, typically, the people who are going to be your main kind of customer stakeholder, the equivalent of me in the organization, this is not my first application implementation. It's not even my fifth, my 10th, or my (laughs) 15th. Like We (laughs) have been through these before. We know what works. We know what works in our organization or in other organizations that we've worked, with other platforms, with other vendors, with other products we're not new to this world. We're just new to ServiceNow. So it's that there, there's also an air of we're the experts in the entire implementation, not mm-hmm. just the ServiceNow component.
1: Huh. You know, it's interesting that, um, so you said a, a few things in that, that I find really, really interesting. Probably one of the the biggest things you said is that you spent a lot of time convincing them of these facts. Yeah. Like that to me, is just mind blowing. You know, when <laughs> Yeah. you because you're the client, right? Like, like you hired them. So I would think that they would be looking to take direction from you versus the other way around. I remember my, when I back, when, I, when I was a customer and you know, I, I was dealing with a, a partner and they came in and I told them, look, this is the way this organization functions. You don't get to talk to anybody above my boss because they don't want to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they bought in. Right. And we got things done. And I think after the first time they saw how things work and that my work was good and my boss's work was good. Like they just kind of settled in. It's like, all right, you guys are running, you running a show. We're just going to go along. So it's interesting that you had to spend so much time trying to get them to the point of actually listening to you so that they can actually create the value for you that you hired them for.
2: Yeah. And I think the idea of value is a little different in every organization. Right. And I I think that there's a tendency for people to try to reduce value down to like just dollars and cents. Of course, the money matters. Right. But it's not all just money. Right. In our organization, and we're a nonprofit healthcare provider organization, large organization, we've got 16,000 employees and big company. But for us, it's about patient safety matters way more than saving $27. So if we can draw a line to patient outcomes from what we're doing, that's going to every single time matter more than the dollars and cents value. And it's hard to, I don't know, convince some of these partners about where our value lies, right? Because everyone wants to use their own definition of what value means.
0: Shoot, Corey. I feel like we should just insert the entire last episode right here. (laughs) 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 Because we were talking about what are the outcomes. And it sounds to me like maybe you weren't asked. What are the outcomes? And like, don't worry, you're not alone. I'm finally understanding that expression, missing the forest through the trees. Because it's like, the point isn't to implement incident management. Really, right? (laughs) Right. The point is to... Yeah, the point is to... mm, And another shout out to Paul Rice for that quote of his, imagine if I was just buying outcomes and not a product, what outcomes would those be?
2: Right. And I remember saying at one point, and Robert, I think you might've actually been on this call. I was like, I feel like this is just a project to close RIDACs. I I don't know what, like, what do I do Mm. to go back to to the organization and say, well, we don't have any actual workflows to show you or or anything in the system done, but we closed 27 RIDAX. Do
0: you, do you yeah. how do
2: you say that's Like the record
0: cool. keeping kind of takes a life of its own, right?
2: Right. It's crazy.
0: So this is a tangent question. This wasn't on the list that we all talked about, but sure. there is a tension in the ecosystem because on on Corey and I's side, it's, gosh, how do I convince this customer? This is totally the wrong idea. Or at least your intent is pure. We understand the outcomes that you want, but what you're asking us to do is suicidal. Right? Yeah. yeah. So- I wonder if you have any interesting perspectives on how a vendor might know the difference between somebody who has been trial tested and understands exactly what they want and how to get it, and the kind of customer that needs them to intervene and say, you want to do it our way, not the way you're thinking. Does that question even make sense?
2: I think so, though I think it comes down to what Corey said a couple of minutes ago, did anyone ask me, right? like. Mm. Are the partners asking and having real conversations and listening to the responses and asking the customers like, well, is this your first major enterprise platform integration? If the answer is yes, well, then that customer stakeholder might need a little bit more handholding. I think it's unlikely that an organization is going to make an investment the size of ServiceNow and put somebody at the helm. Who's going to cut their teeth on this kind of a project that seems a little bit risky, but I'm sure it could happen. You would want to know that, but I don't think you should assume that. I think you should assume that knowing the size of the investment that is ServiceNow, the stakeholder has likely done a couple of these before and probably has some good experiences, some bad experiences, but some experiences that they're bringing to the table for this one.
1: And good experiences or bad experiences, they're both really relevant. right? Cause I find I learned a lot more from my failures than I do from my successes. So I definitely want someone who's had some bad experiences with enter- enterprise product implementations to bring that to the forefront, right? So we can know what to avoid. Maybe some of those things were, would be in line with our best practices and we have to talk through it a little bit in order to kind of maneuver that, that, um, situation through, or maybe we need to remove it and, and do something a different way just because, just so it doesn't trigger, right? Like any of those bad feelings, because sometimes it's not about the results. Sometimes it's about the perception along the way.
2: Yeah. and I think that would be a really great question for client interviews. Maybe don't start just with, okay, how do you do incidents? Maybe Mm. start with, tell us about some of the implementations that you've had before that have gone really wrong and what went wrong about them. You're going to learn a lot if you get a really good answer to that question.
1: Deb, let me tell you, that's (laughs) like, I mean, mind blown right there. That is, that is like, I mean, it seems, it just sounds so simple on the surface, but there's so much insight right there.
0: Deb, nobody's naming names here, right? But is that one of the questions they asked you? It's like, how do you do incident management? Yeah. It's funny. Like we just like go back to outcomes again. It's like, why would we want to know? Like, clearly we want to save the stuff that works, but isn't the best question. What do you need to get out of this? Uh Uh-huh versus like start off on the assumptive foot that we need to rebuild what you've got in service now. So it's great. We got the same thing. It's just quarter million dollars more spend.
2: Yeah. You know what? There, there was a forest and trees. Like, I think that's a great analogy, but the one that I like to think of when I when I think back on that time in my life and that implementation is, you know, it was like I had hired somebody to build me a house. And the kinds of conversations that I expect to have if I'm paying someone to build me a house are things like, well, how many bedrooms do you need? And how many bathrooms do you need? Those sorts of things. I would expect to be able to say something like, I need a second full suite because I have my mother who's getting older and she lives with us. So we need a space for her to live. And right. I would expect to have those kinds of conversation. What I don't expect to have are conversations about what type of plumbing they want me to put in the bathroom. I, Mm -hmm. I don't know the kind that has water that flows through it and from it. (laughs) The kind that maybe looks pretty, but I don't know the different kinds of plumbing. and, And I honestly don't care as long as they work. And so I feel like in that implementation, we never got to that level of, I need a separate full suite for my mother because she lives with me. We got, do you want a house with four walls? Well, of course, I want a house with, with four out exterior mm-hmm. walls. I, I don't want one with five. I want one with exterior walls. Okay. And then what kind of plumbing do you want? Like, we never got at that right level. We, it was always either way too high and, and elementary or way too in the weeds that I have no idea how this works. This system is new to me. I don't, I need you to tell me how it works so that I can make some decisions.
1: Right.
0: Did you find that there was one process where that was harder in particular, or was it the whole thing?
2: I think it varied whether or not we were too high up or too far down by mm-hmm. process. For sure, organizational change management was just up in the clouds. Mm-hmm. Similarly with like our portal development, our customer portal, request management, I, I don't think they ever really told me how it worked. I think, I think you, Robert... Were finally the one that explained what a Rhythm was.
0: Oh, um, man. Let's not. <laughs> <laughs> Go and, back and see our Christmas wish list to, to right. see what Corey and I think about Rhythm's requests as tasks. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, that, I mean, but still, if you're an expert, which... I mean you guys obviously are, but if, if this implementation partner is an expert, they should come in going, every single one of our clients has a hard time wrapping their head around this request management process. We're gonna start there and really we're gonna do a deep dive and we're gonna make sure that they can speak the rhythm SC task requests, you know, and all the different le- that they know what those are and, and that they understand them to begin with. We're gonna we're gonna get that out of the way first. But they they really never did that and they they kind of took a pay no attention to the man behind the curtain approach. Mm. Like, it'll just work. It'll just work. I'm like, but I need, I need to kind of know how it works. Like, I need that second, that second full suite and it has to be on the, you know, on the main floor. It'll just work. And then when we moved into the house, there was no, you know, there's just another bedroom and it was upstairs and it didn't have a bathroom. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but then when we got to the like CMDB, oh my goodness, we were like not only just in the plumbing, we were, it was, you were in the plumbing. I was in the plumbing. They were at me. They, they like handed me a porch and were like, I'm gonna need you to weld this. Get me out of here. <laughs> you don't want me welding anything, trust me. <laughs> so it was a little bit of whiplash going from too high, too low, too high, too low. When I what I really just wanted to tell them and what I wanted to learn was how is this system gonna help make all of these is better and take away a lot of the headaches that I have today. Right.
0: Speaking of headaches, it's 20 minutes in. We'll go to question two.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, this is what we like. We like it just, we like to flow nicely. But speaking of headaches, what keeps you up about your current service now implementation? What keeps you up at night?
2: Uh, honestly, what keeps me up at night is talent and getting the right talent on the team. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you guys know, and I I see that you're, you do a lot of discussions. I know you had a a recruiter on and you were talking about the whole talent and the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And it's from our perspective, it keeps me up at night as well. You know, we recently have made the investment to add FTEs to be able to build out our team.
0: You want to just shout out what you need right now? Yes. Go ahead.
2: Yes. I am looking for a senior developer and definitely 3 staff level developers for service now we are ITSM ITBM and ITOM we are located in the US and are only able to employ folks who are located in the US but i can consider folks who who need to be remote as long as it's remote from somewhere in the in the united states so you know, for our senior person, we're looking for someone who's got some real solid experience in the ServiceNow space. And then for our applicant, for our staff-level developers, we will happily take someone who is a little bit greener, who would like to learn and, and grow with us. We're a great organization. We have, I mean, don't take my word for it, but Robert, you've met the team. We have a real great team culture. We'd love to have some folks come on board with us, but that's honestly, that's what keeps me up at night
1: that's really interesting because I have uh, a couple clients right now who are saying largely the same thing talent keeps them up at night as well and talent is the main roadblock that they're having right now in terms of achieving the velocity that they want in order to um to really work through their their backlog and and on to their roadmap so it's it's interesting that Duke and I talk about this a lot right in terms of like talent 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 and skilling up and such but you know it's really really nice to hear from your perspective, Deb, on how that's still like one of the main pressing issues for you as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, just remember that whoever it was that convinced an organization to make this investment made a lot of promises. (laughs) 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 And I personally can't make any of them happen. So I need to have a team. We need to be able to have the right mix of talent, the right mix of personality, the right mix of, you know, just sort of skill set to be able to make all of this happen and to deliver on that value that we promised we'd give to the organization.
1: Are you saying that the issue is finding talent or are you seeing that the issue is finding talent in a price range that your organization is willing to pay?
2: Um, I think we probably have a couple of things. So first of all, we just converted these to FTEs and posted them, I think this week. So I'm hopeful that my worry is going to bear out to not really be a problem and that we're going to find all sorts of talent. It's going to be fantastic. However, I have heard that there are a lot of really talented folks who want to stay in the consulting world who aren't interested in taking a full-time job for reasons, reasons that make sense and reasons that I have you know They're, they're personal and, and completely valid, sure. but for us, we are looking to grow the team with employees, so that kind of changes who we're looking at. We have identified one person so far, but we're, we're always looking for other folks internally who would like to train up, folks that we can pull either from our service desk or from elsewhere within the organization that we can train up to learn. ServiceNow. We're we're happy to spend that kind of money to make sure that we're we're getting folks trained and and giving them a chance to learn. But we really also, we we don't want an entire team of brand new folks who have only ever learned this in a classroom environment. I I would like some folks who have had some experience before, again, as an employer looking to employ folks. I don't believe that I'm going to be able to offer exactly the same kind of hourly rates that folks are making as contractors, but we offer, we take on the burden of benefits and, you know, all of those other items that as a contractor you guys have to take on yourselves so it's kind of a a blend and i think we're just looking at who's out there and who wants to actually be an employee i i would love your guys thoughts on where do you think that if you look at the whole service now ecosystem of developer talent would you say most people want to be contractors and kind of live the the freelance life or are a lot of folks looking to kind of settle down and and be somewhere for a bit
1: what do you think about that one duke
0: I think a lot of people want to be about that life, Hey, eh, Corey? Like, just everybody think, oh, I'll put a few years in and I'll go out and I'll be an independent contractor and and just clean house. But I think, A, they don't realize how much work it is. Like, it's not just, I fill up a 40-hour week with cons- with consult time and, and dollars right. and money, right? Like, right. it is literally feast and famine. Some weeks I'll have 20 hours, some weeks I'll have 60, 80, whatever. Right. And it's tough because you got to, like, you got to eat and fish at the same time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <I> <laughs> um, right. Yeah, that's a good point.
0: And so I think there's way more people who think they're they're about that life than can actually pull it off. And the demand for service now continues to grow, but the market is also growing very rapidly. Like the the set of people who can do service now is just that has grown explosively too. So I don't think just going indie. And and saying I know service now cuts it anymore, I don't wow. think it does. And so I think it's getting easier, at least for employers, to get people on salary. Salary, it used to, I mean, remember Corey? Time was salary. How <laughs> on, <I'll> wait.
1: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Um Yeah, indeed.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think your biggest competition right now is partners. The Pro- yeah, partners okay. are vacuuming up with all the credible people, and they're offering you know decent salaries because these people are billing like crazy.
2: Yeah. Well, and any tips? To rant there, but how could we? How can I be competitive? Well, with, I mean with the money. Yeah. Compete in other ways. Right. Yeah.
0: You know, what I mean? and I would say there's probably a lot of people who are sick to death of being at a partner. You know what I mean? And maybe, maybe they like to see if the things that they advise on can actually survive more than three months. Right. And maybe they just want a home. Maybe they don't want, I mean, travel isn't a thing anymore, but it wears a little bit on this. I mean, remember during our implementation and there was the architect that you were supposed to be like the chief architect from the partner, but you got like two hours of her a week. Yeah. Imagine if you're doing like 20 customers at two hours a week.
2: I remember she seemed like she was A, always working, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: B, incredibly stressed, (laughs) (laughs) and see just a little bit unhappy, like yeah. as a, you know, she was great. I, I thought she was fantastic and and she was always super pleasant, but it, it seemed like an element of, oh my goodness, number one, I never get to see anything complete and I'm always pulled in a hundred different directions. And, and then I feel like I can't do anything well.
0: Yeah. So there's that. And then there's also the up and comers, right? They don't have ServiceNow Architect on their resume now or senior developer on their resume now, but they're that junior developer who's put in their time and just haven't been promoted up. And they're waiting for a chance to just come out. You know, that was me back in 2013 with high hotels. I I was like a ServiceNow admin was my job title. And then I just waltzed into ServiceNow Architect.
1: Yeah. The next day. So compete that way.
2: Okay. All right.
1: I would agree with that as well. So if you're looking for someone like me and you want to get me to come on and take salary, it's all about the next level. For me, Right. Like it's all about how do I solve these problems? Do you have cool problems to solve? Do I get to see these things live on? Like you said, two or three months after, you know, do I get to see the long term life cycle of, of how these solutions that I build hang out in your environment and take on a life and solve these problems that I actually started on? And that sense of ownership of the instance as well. Right. Basically a different level of fulfillment. You know, so I think those are some of the things that you can uh, tap into as well. You know, by turning it into something that's a little more appealing than just, you know, a a set of stories and tasks and and providing a sense of ownership.
0: Okay. I want to change tone a little bit because I don't want to seem like it's all dark and gloomy because we used a partner, blah, blah, blah. Corey and I are always careful to say this show is not anti-partner. It's just trying to make everybody better, including us.
2: Uh, Yeah. So
0: I was wondering if you could... Describe, Deb, what was one of the major victories you won implementing ServiceNow? What's the thing you're most proud of? What's the one that makes the organization just sit back and go, ah, oh, nice.
2: How do I want to say this? The the table stakes, right? Like the basic core functionality. that we, and, and we replaced an, an old system that I don't even know if it's still around and I won't mention what it is but just the very basic functionality the basic ITSM functionality how much simpler it is to do all of that now that was really the big that got everybody to kind of exhale on oh what's this going to look like how, th- this was a lot of money and is this really going to be worth it just getting that very basic functionality and that's actually what I'm hearing the most from the IT team or what I heard the most a year ago from the IT team is my goodness, this is so much easier than, I mean, I just have to click and I can just see it. And it it was so much easier than the way it was. I know that that's not like glamorous and that's not that big picture sort of big story presented at a conference kind of win. But for us, that was a huge win because we didn't realize how bad it was in the old system. So bringing it up and modernizing it was a huge win. Also being able to have real-time performance analytics and how quickly we were able to spin up performance analytics was also a huge win for us. Just being able to see what was out of the box and just that there was information there and that it was trending and actual metrics, not just data points. Those were, I think, the two biggest wins that we had right off the bat. And then we've gone on to do other really cool things that we never would have been able to do. Things that really tie into, again, our organizational mission. So not to go too deep into the healthcare or Epic world, but one of the big initiatives that we had recently was a function in Epic that's called Rover, which allows your nurses to in, in an inpatient hospital to carry around an iOS device, an iPhone. And they use that iOS device to do all sorts of cool things in Epic, which is an Epic function, right? So they can scan the barcodes on the patient scan the barcode on the med, when they're giving a med, they can use the iPhone to do their documentation, all of this through Epic. Well, our big win was we were able to plop the ServiceNow app on that same Rover device. And so now on that device that they're using to do all of their patient care, if something's broken in a room or something's broken out on the floor, they, they have the ServiceNow app available to them and they can just do that from their rover device. That was like mind blown. No, it, it was so cool. So that we were able to dovetail into the organization providing cool technology for the clinicians. And we just sort of snuck a little ServiceNow in
1: there. <laughs> that That's pretty awesome. Honestly, that is present at knowledge awesome in my opinion.
2: Oh,
0: <laughs> I, I, I would not hesitate, Deb. I would totally put that in as an abstract and present at knowledge about it. Wow, yeah, And the reason is we've heard it every year for years, but more recently, I feel like ServiceNow is really putting its money where its mouth is and doing the here is stuff for industry verticals. They're not right. talking about incident management. They're talking about like incident management in a factory, incident management in the healthcare space, incident management, and blah, blah, blah.
1: Wouldn't you say, Corey? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, there's a, a, a huge push right now towards getting uh, ServiceNow into these verticals and having them a bit more configured to deliver value to the vertical in the way that the vertical is looking for it, right? Yep. And, yeah. And I think this obviously qualifies, right? I mean, you totally. guys saw a something that you already had existing, right? You had these nurses, who were walking around with iPhones and they were already accustomed to using them day to day, you know, minute to minute to do things in, inside of Epic. Why not slide the ServiceNow app on there on there, and then just kind of bootstrap, right? Like just leverage what, what you already have and then create so much more value with only a small, probably a small uptick in training, right? Because if you use Epic, my guess is you can use ServiceNow Mobile. Right.
0: Yeah. Another thing unplanned, but I think what a lot of people don't get is how different, especially like the whole big box, let's just come in and deploy best practices, cookie cutter, blah, blah, blah. Right. (laughs) Especially for those types of partners, help us help them appreciate how different it is to be in healthcare versus some other space.
2: Well not to be obvious, but it's healthcare. We are literally dealing with applications that drive the way we keep people alive and healthy. You know, we're talking about operating room applications. We're talking about the system that alarms if there's an infant abduction in the NICU. Like the real world's impact to the work that IT does is fundamentally different from like a human perspective. Now, I do have to say that, of course, all of those clinical systems have downtime processes so that no one is literally going to immediately have an adverse impact patient-wise, but it's going to interrupt patient care, right? If we have an outage, that means all the nurses need to figure out what downtime procedures are and then go to downtime procedures. And that means that your loved one who's lying in a hospital bed waiting for care to be provided by a nurse, that nurse is now spending time doing things that aren't directed at patient care. Like that's it's where it comes out in the end. So we always have to think about that. It's, it's just the stakes are different and the impact is different. And that's why it's not always about money. It's if we can have a positive impact of patient care, that's going to outweigh the dollars and cents every time.
1: Let me ask a question here that kind of harkens back to one of the earlier conversations we were having about partners. And Did your partners know that or did they ask that or what, did that become apparent to them over the course of the project? And did they pivot to ensure that they were aligned?
2: So I will say that there was, and this will come as a surprise to literally no one on this call. The conversations that happened as we were picking our partner, and the information that was shared during that part of the process did not seem to transition smoothly, or possibly at all, to the people who actually showed up to do the implementation. Got
1: it. That does not surprise me, unfortunately.
2: We've made an episode out of it, Deb.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I think they ultimately got it, but I don't think that that's a skill that the partners really focus on is the ability to say there has to be a blend. And it's it's great that there's all sorts of -of out-of-the-box cookie cutter, things that work. I don't want to – I mean cookie cutter is is just a a negative way to look at best practice, right? If it's best practice, it's best practice. I'm totally fine with that. But I think the skill set that isn't really developed in the big partners is the ability to say, all right, you're going to go to any given client. And maybe eighty percent of our best practices are going to make sense. Here's how you handle the twenty percent that aren't, and here's how you go: okay, that's not that doesn't line up with our best practice, but I can see that it is a best practice for you. And here's how we're going to adapt. And that skill just didn't seem to, just didn't seem to exist.
1: Got mm-hmm. it. Oh, okay. So tell me this, that So one of the things that that I do, one of the phrases that we've coined here on on the show, right, is the frak architect, and we're going to make this a thing, no matter what. No matter what. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what a frak architect is is basically a, an architect that may work less than forty hours for you, but represents you solely, right? Like you hire them directly, and that person could be your eyes, ears, hands. Expertise, etc. When dealing with other vendor partners, and just kind of giving you an honest understanding and use of their expertise when dealing with your instance as well. So, I'm wondering if you have any experience with folks like that in that role.
2: Absolutely, Robert actually was our for architect on our Ooh. on our implementation. Spreading already. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so yeah I, I love it although i it does evoke like a frankenstein thing anyway yes. so i don't know if that's intentional or not but go with it beautiful so, side effect <laughs> <laughs> having that role was so useful it, it sort of became a uh, so if a for architect could come in and say exactly the same thing that i had been saying but it just took on a different weight, right? Because the, everybody understood the role of the for architect to begin with. So everybody knew that I was going to bring them in to kind of be my eyes and ears and to say, this is how you should do this this is the right thing for long term and that because they are independent they don't have a stake in having it go one way or another right they don't stand to make any more business or do any more billing if if i make a decision to do something one way or the other they're purely there to make sure that we make good decisions that was helpful to have that person come on they they had a level of authority because they did no service now so and they were an expert in service now so they were able to ask questions that i would never have known to ask to allow the people on the call to draw their own conclusions and show their own hand so i I think it was it was really helpful to have somebody in that role on the team and it's something that honestly within our it organization when i've described how that worked i've had other my peers say oh When I do my next whatever implementation, I'm going to see if I can get somebody like that. I have not used the term, but I will now.
0: Okay, we are at time. I'd like to thank Deb Quinton for being our very special guest today. Please remember that she is looking for a senior developer and some three staff level developers. We will have information in the description on how you can contact her if you are that person or you know somebody who would be. Also, if you are a customer of ServiceNow and you want to tell your story on CJ and the Duke, we will have a link in the description below for how you can do that as well. And Corey, how would people find you if they want to get in touch with you?
1: So, Duke, you can find me at uh, Corey Wesley on LinkedIn, where I accept practically every connection that is offered to me. And I love connecting with folks and talking shop, ServiceNow and practically anything else. Um, You can also find me at techvoyant.com, where we focus on practically everything ServiceNow related.
0: And you can reach me at www.theduke.digital. There you will find my upcoming course, Hired, the Definitive Guide to Profiles that Win ServiceNow Jobs. Thanks again, Deb Quinton, and we will see you on the next episode. Thanks,
2: guys.